I'm going to change the lights here. Now, that will help me see what I'm doing here. Now, I know the book of Acts is big, so let's start at the beginning. Actually, what I want to share this morning for the next few minutes, if I may, it's a topic that really excites me because there's so much of it around me all the time. And that's transformation. Transformation or a transformed life is the greatest, strongest living proof of a risen Savior. A transformed life is the greatest proof of a living and resurrected Christ. Part of the problem in the church is is we get together and we kind of come to know each other in this environment or in a cell group during the week. And and, uh, maybe people around us haven't seen us in the before picture. They've only seen the after. And we kind of like the after picture. You know, it's fellowship and the person loves Jesus and we have a commonality. But as Pastor Rob said, I think just last week, if it weren't for the cross and if it weren't for the work of Christ, some of us wouldn't even want to be friends with each other. Right? We just don't come from the same cut. We're not out of the same cloth. We don't come from the same background. And uh, some of us would be entirely offensive to another person. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. No, help me out. That's fine. I'm going to talk about you later. (laughs) You know, and I, and just to point at myself rather than pick on Gary there, um, you know, and I tell people that when I came to Christ, I had hair down the middle of my back. Wearing a headband, no shirt, no shoes, just a pair of 501 baggies with the button-down fly. (laughs) Standing in the -the jack-in-the-box doing drugs. Smoking like a chimney. And people go, oh, come on, not you. You're so clean, you got a tie, a nice shirt, you look pretty good for an old guy. But it's a transformation. Some people, if you met on the street, said, Jesus will transform your life and make you look just like me. They'd say, well, I think I'll pass. That's not the transformation we're looking for. And I could pick on a lot of people in this room. and One easy one would be Corey. And Corey would be the first to tell you that that's a transformed life right there. That's a Holy Ghost transformation right there that has received incredible answers to prayer. And, and on the spot this morning, say, hey, can, can you fill in? Can you jump on the base? And, I mean, he is, how long have you been learning the base? Not long. But by what God has done in him and his love for Jesus and his gratefulness out of a thankful bottom-end heart, he says, of course I'll serve Jesus. Look what he's done for me. And that's a transformed life. But some of us might not know the history. And I'm not going to tell it. (laughs) I said, thank God for that. But let's look at a life in the scriptures that many of us will be familiar with, and that's Peter's. The Apostle Peter. Well, he didn't start out an apostle, did he? He's just a fisherman. 
Imagine, just stop for a second. He's a fisherman. I've been up and down Stanfield a few times this week, and there's some fishermen there. And they got a couple of poles in the water. I actually watched a guy catch a fish. It was fun. I was parked there, and he was sitting down, relaxing, with two poles in the water. And I always thought that was illegal, but there must be a, an advantage there somewhere. And he's got two poles, and one gives a little bounce. And that guy was on his feet, and he grabbed that pole, and he started in. I thought, ah, oh, he's got a weed. <laughs> you know, that's what I catch anyway. And well, up come that fish, and he was just smiling and hoping the other pole will do the same thing, I'm sure. Well, what if I just stop and say, excuse me, that's pretty good, you're catching fish, but come follow me, I want to make you a fisher of men. Maybe his language isn't suitable for the kingdom of God yet. about Peter? Do you think he was a cleaned up, real fresh, happy socialite? He's a fisherman. You know, they used to yell at each other and throwing things in the water and dragging sneaky fish around and, you know, hawking them at the market. Hey, heaven, he's trying to sell his fish. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they drop their nets. Right? They dropped their, the Bible says they dropped their nets and they walked away to follow Christ. And here's the onset of a transformed man. This is the Peter that, as we read through the Gospels, we find him, he's a pretty big talker. In fact, the Bible gives us a picture, he's a pretty big guy. He's no small guy. He's a pretty big, big guy. And he's got a pretty coarse language. And, uh, you know, when Jesus is talking about people walking away, Peter's saying, not me, you know, I'm big talk. And then in the trial, in the meeting in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, who's he? He's the one yanking out the sword and whacking off a guy's ear with it. I'm going to defend my Jesus. And Jesus turns and says, you're going to deny me. He goes, no way, not me. I'll go to the death with you. A lot of talk here. A lot of boasting, a lot of this is me kind of production. And then it comes down to Jesus being hauled off and Peter sneaks down by the trial and he's watching what's going on. And then somebody says, hey, you're one of those disciples of Jesus, aren't you? And what does he do? Not me. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. Who are you talking about? We're talking about the man over there that's waiting to be tried. I don't know him. Later on, the little girl says, hey, you're one of Jesus' guys, right? No. And the third time, the Bible says he swears. Now, you can interpret that a lot of ways. But at the very least, what we can say, not so much that he was cursing about it, swearing, but he was declaring, oathfully swearing, I don't even know the man. He just spent a few years walking with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, being his friend, eating dinner at the Last Supper with him. Not me. I'll never deny you. Three times. And in the last one, as we know, the scriptures tell us. There's that cock crowing over. And, and when that happens, Jesus turns and looks him right in the eye. And what does Peter do? The big, strong, big mouth declaration Peter slinks off into the darkness crying, knowing he's failed. Knowing he's collapsed under the pressure. Condemning himself. In fact, the Bible doesn't 
tell us that, well, actually it leaves it blank, but it, it depicts for us that Peter was not there at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. You know, there are a few people there, John and Mary and others, but it doesn't say Peter was there. He was still out crying about things and failing and feeling that condemnation. Many of us have been through this kind of stuff, right? Where we knew we, we had the opportunity to step up and, and all of our strength and boldness to tell about Jesus, and we didn't do it. And so we slink off into the dark corner and maybe even weep because we failed. But in Acts chapter 2, things change. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to skip the next few verses, but it simply says that there were people from about 16 or 17 different nations in the place and heard them speaking with tongues pouring out into the streets. And these different nations declare, how is it that these uneducated men and women, 120, are speaking about the wonderful works of God in our language, which there's no possibility they could have ever learned. And in verse 14 it says, but Peter... Because they were mocking at the end. They were all, they're just drunk. They're all drunk. They're all, come on. We're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Peter stands up with the eleven, raises his voice and says to the men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is recorded for us what I like to call the first Holy Ghost filled message preached. And who's the preacher? The transformed Peter. The one who's been through a process with Christ of restoring. And some of us need that still. But Jesus got Peter on the beach, right, at the fish fry. He said, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. That's good. Take care of my lambs. And one more time, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know. I don't know. (laughs) Evidently, I'm, you wonder, I wonder what? You tell me, you're God. But you know, and I love you. And he says, and yes, you do. And in case you missed the point, for me, it's this way. Jesus asked Peter those three times because he had denied him three times. He wanted to make sure Peter knew every single one of his errors was covered by the power and the grace of Jesus. And at the end of that, says, now, take care of my church. Later he said to him, you're you're Peter, or earlier he had told him, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. Filled with the Holy Ghost, he stands up and preaches. 
all the way to verse 37. And in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I'd like to preach like that this morning, to where my preaching cut to the heart. Why? Because it's a, it's a demonstration of a transformed life. It's, a, it's a, an observation of the presence of the Holy Ghost. God Himself on the scene, dealing with men and women through the preaching of the Word. The Bible calls it the kerygma, or the declaration, the evangelization of the world. comes through the preaching of the Word. And the Word of God has power to save us. And when Peter's done laying it out, he's not the afraid Peter, he's not the fisherman Peter, he's the transformed apostle. He's now full of the Holy Ghost. He's got God living inside of him and he stands up and declares with power, this is truth. Not only does it say this is truth, but he's pulling in the scriptures from the Old Testament saying this is the fulfillment of prophecy. We're living in the moment that God has ordained from time back here all the way in in the book of Malachi and the book of Joel. And he's saying it's happening right here today. Folks, you're living in the middle of it. And he convinces them and their hearts are touched. Cut to the heart, they say, Peter, what do we do? Men and brothers, what should we do? And the message is really quite simple. It's always the same. Repent. Repent. He doesn't say to them first, get full of the Holy Ghost, get transformed like me. He says, repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn to God. Turn away from what you've been doing and turn to the one who can save you. 3,000 people are saved that day. Wow. Wow. It always amazed me because they baptized them too, and I wonder how did they baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, there's an answer to that, but we won't stop on it. It's just a, an amazing thing. In my mind, I see Jerusalem, every fountain that was available had people in it. You remember those things spilling over water? They were sticking somebody in it, you know? And I thought, what? A, no wonder the whole town knew about it. What are they doing? Dunking these people everywhere. Can we borrow your tub? And when we get to verse 3, or chapter 3, excuse me, Peter and John are going up together to the temple of the hour of prayer. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. He would beg. That was his living. That's how he earned his keep. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him, with John, who? Peter. The transformed man says, look at us. Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I give you. And with the authority of a man? Question mark? No. With the authority of a God-filled man, with the authority of the Holy Spirit present in his life, he said, I don't have what you want, but I have what you need. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This man was about to start earning his own living without begging. His life was about to be changed. He knew how to beg all his life, but now he's going to be able to go to work because He lends him his hand, and the Bible says he lifts him up, and the man immediately is healed. He's been lame from birth, and he's healed. And he goes walking. 
and leaping and praising God, dancing into the temple, wouldn't you? If your legs never worked and now they worked, wouldn't you want to use them? Sure, he was happy. His life had just changed forever. And people are amazed. People are running together in verse 11 into Solomon's porch. And Peter starts saying, wait, 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 wait. Why are you marveling or looking at us? We're not the issue here. Verse 16. His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. This Jesus is the one. Yes, faith comes through him and has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of of you all. It's not us. It's Him. How does Jesus come to live in our life? As Paul the Apostle said, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm alive. How does it work? How does it happen that Christ lives His life out through you and I? It's by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go, in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, when I go, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to send back to you another comforter. This word, another comforter, in the Greek, very straightforward, it means one just like me. Not a different one. Not a different or strange one. Another one just like me. He's going to be the comforter. This is the word paraclete. The paraclete, and some of you guys who you know, have formed foundations and you use cleats when you do that. The para means alongside. The cleat means to fasten, right? So the Holy Ghost is the one who's going to come alongside and fasten to you. He's going to be with you and the Bible says He's going to be in you. And He's going to bring you comfort. He's going to bring you what you need. Jesus said He's going to teach you all things, lead you into all truth, and He's going to bring to your remembrance what you need to remember when you need to remember it. This is a living God living inside. That's why Paul said, wow, the life I'm living is not me. It's a transformed me filled with God. Peter was acting out as he was saying the same thing. It's not us, boys and girls, that makes this man walk here. Don't look at us like we're something. It's the name of Jesus that's made him whole. And he stands here before you as a witness. Perfectly sound. And what do they get as a result? Well, chapter 4, they get an overnight stay in jail. They get an overnight hold. Because they don't, the people around that don't get it, don't know what to do, and they're a little nervous about stuff, so they grab them and they throw them in the slammer. And they leave them there overnight, because it was already late in the evening, the Bible says. But not before verse 4 in chapter 4 took place. It says, however, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You don't get that kind of results from preaching the word unless the Holy Ghost is involved. Men don't convince men to do anything. Right? Women? Do women convince men to do anything? Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> But the Holy Ghost can change a man's heart just like that. And it was. He was. So they spend some time in jail and they're brought out the next day and they're asked in chapter 4 verse 7, what power, by what power 
Or what name have you done this? I like the response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And he gives his answer. How did he give it? He gave it filled with the Holy Spirit. He's coming out of his jail cell from an overnight stay and he's filled with the Spirit. We've got another record in here where something like that happens, right? Where they get whipped and scourged and thrown in jail in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And, and so what do they do? Paul and Silas. Well, it's midnight. What do you think we ought to do? Our backs are bleeding. We're in these stocks. Our feet are fast. Our hands are held fast. What do you want to do? So, well, how about we sing? Sing? Yeah, let's worship. It's a good time to worship. Don't you think? The blood's drying. We're going to be all right. We've been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Let's sing. And it starts resonating through the prison. What's the name of that that uh, cathedral that has that dome down in Guatemala, down in the basement? You remember that? Cappuccino. Cappuccino ruins. There's a room downstairs. It's this shaped like a dome. It's carved out of the rock inside. And you go in there and everybody sounds good singing in there. Man. I mean, I was, wow. It was so beautiful. I mean, and you could be in there by yourself and barely just kind of, and it would just fill. You'd go, wow, sound. We'd go down there and we'd worship. We thought we were the best in the world. And probably for God we were. So they're in that prison, and I imagine it's like cappuccino, and they start to sing. Not only does it sound, sound, I mean volume, does it expand into the other cells, but the place starts shaking. And there's an earthquake, and God says, I'm coming on this deal. Holy Ghost and power. Shakes the jail, opens all the cells, everybody's free to go. The prison, the prison guard's going to kill himself because they're going to kill him in the morning for letting everybody get out anyway. And Paul stops him and says, wait, 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 get some lights on. We're all here. God's in charge of this moment. This is a Holy Ghost moment. And the prison guard says, what do I do? He says, well, uh, takes them home, cleans them up, gives them a bath, washes their wounds, feeds them some dinner, brings out his family, says, what should we do? He says, call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and your whole house. So we get this word oikos and community. Everybody that you're connected to will come to know Christ. Not just your immediate family, but your oikos, those 10 or 15 people that you're always hanging out with, those people that you interact with on a regular basis, they're all going to come to know Jesus because of your faith. And it happened. And then he brings them back to court the next morning. By what power or what name have you done this? Filled with the Holy Ghost. He answers, it's Jesus. Now look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. I, I, I think for you the case is the same as for me. That is, I qualify here as an uneducated and untrained. I qualify as less than the world wants. 
But I hope I also qualify that I've been with Jesus. And that people notice that. You know, you talk different. You walk different. You act. You don't lie at work. You don't steal and cheat the boss. You, if things go wrong and you're still happy, what is the deal with you? Well, I may not have it all together in every department of education and understanding all the big things of the world, so, but I do know him. And he knows me. And I've been filled with the Spirit. And now the life that I live, I live because of his power inside of me. These miracles that happen around me, they don't happen just because of accidents. This isn't just per chance or coincidence. This is God stepping into my life and making these things work out. This is the very Son of God living His life out through me, and things kind of go the way He wants them to go. Have you perceived someone who's been with Jesus? In verse 14, it's kind of fun too, because it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. <laughs> kind of nice to have the evidence. By what power do you do this? By what name do you do this? And so what was the name of Jesus as they put their arm around the man? What do you think? <laughs> Let's just smile at him. What do you say? Probably irritate him. The man's there. They all knew him. You know, there's something that crossed my mind too. If you read the Bible and get a little investigative, maybe these things cross your mind too. You think Jesus ever walked by the gate beautiful? He must have. He was always coming and going from the temple area. It's the main thoroughfare. And the Bible says this man was laid there every day. But Jesus walked right past him while he was begging off. Might have even given him some alms through his friend Judas, who had the money bag. So he gave the guy some money. But he didn't heal him. Why? Because this was coming. It had to be by the power of the Holy Spirit working through transformed lives that this man was going to be delivered and healed and a testimony. If we just keep turning the pages of the New Testament, here especially in the book of Acts, we find these things follow. In, in, in chapter 6, there's, the church is growing so big, they need some servants, they need some deacons. That's what they're called. We call them deacons. Uh, and they're just servants to the body of Christ. Those who will wait on tables and minister to those who have uh, very practical needs. But the stipulation is given in verse 2 of chapter 6. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. We don't want just regular natural men. We want men that are full of God. We want them to be to uh, have a good reputation. We want them to have be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and then we'll give them this business of taking care of the church. It's been too long that we've had those in the church. I'm talking about a church worldwide now, where the church kind of in general just sort of votes people in, picks people to do whatever. You know, you're kind of qualified in that area, so let's have you do that. Let's have you do that. Hey, let's take the let's take the one that's been transformed, these, the leadership of the early church, and say, hey, we're going to stay with the Word of God in prayer. But you find the guys that are full of the Holy Ghost. That's what we want. We want guys that got a good reputation because of the transformation that's come in their life. We want an irrefutable testimony for Christ living in front of men and women. These guys will take care of the church. They go and they find them. 
They name them, they bring them the apostles, it says they lay hands on them and they give them the commission. And they put them right to work. And the church grows again. Look at it, right? Isn't that what it says? That the church grew because of that? When we get to uh, chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wasn't he one of the deacons? Full of faith and power. Great signs and wonders. You know, he gets called on the carpet for it too. He was a great preacher. His ministry was kind of short. Because here he preaches, he gets called in on it. And by the end of chapter 7, he's being stoned as the first martyr. But his message, you read his message, you read his preaching, and it's full of the word of God, and it's full of the power of God. And it's cutting on them as they're hearing it. But they don't respond the way the first group did in Acts chapter 2. In verse 54, the same thing happens. Is when they heard these things as he's preaching and sharing with them his testimony out of a transformed life, a Holy Ghost filled life, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They didn't say, men and brothers, what should we do? They didn't hear the message of repent, turn from your sin, and let this one fill you too. They resisted the message. But he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of this turmoil, he's having a vision of heaven. He's getting a direct look at the throne. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They said, we can't handle this message. This is too Holy Ghost for us. We're not going to mess with this guy any longer. Let's kill him. And they do. They cast him out of the city. They take him out to the stoning pit. You know, it's a familiar spot in these cities. There was usually a low spot. And there's rocks laying everywhere from the last time. The only thing missing is the last person they stoned. So they know where it's in. Drag him out there, throw him in the little gully, and everybody's got rocks. They start throwing. They're going to throw him until he's dead. And all the witnesses there laid their coats at somebody's feet. Here, can you watch our coats? Who's the coat check? Saul of Tarsus. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. <laughs> he forgives his killers as he's dying. And when he said this, he fell asleep. We keep turning the pages. Here's the man with the coat check, Saul. Now the persecution is really going to start. He starts hounding the church down and hauling men and women off to jail because they're calling on this Jesus. He thinks in his heart he's doing God a service because he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He is a, a man of God according to the Jewish faith. He has studied under the best. And he knows that he has to stop this religious uprising, this anti-God sect that's following Jesus. So he's hauling everybody off. He gets letters to go to Damascus. We know the accounts. Maybe you know this history better than I do. But he's on his way 
And the Bible says suddenly a light shines around him and knocks him to the ground. And he hears. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? I love that statement. Why? Because Jesus is identifying with us. He's identifying with his people. He's saying, you're hurting them, you're hurting me. Why are you persecuting me? It's my body. Listen, when you're reviled, when you're upset, or when somebody pushes against you because of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in your life, they're not against you. They're against who's living inside of you. That's why Stephen could forgive him as he was being stoned. They're not mad at me. They're mad at Jesus. And they did this to him too. I'm just full, full of him. That's their problem. Have you ever offended somebody because you had too much Jesus leaking out of you? Sure we have. That's unfortunate. And it's always hard to kind of try and explain your way out of it if they'll let you, but better to be offensive that way than to just be doggone offensive anyway. We got guys in, in chapter 8, verse 4, like Philip, who are going into Samaria and preaching, and it says, The multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken to Philip in verse 6, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Miracles? Can you do miracles? Well, the answer is yes. Don't be too quick to say no. Have you done them lately? It's probably no. But can you? Yes. There's no difference between you and Philip if you're filled with the Holy Ghost in power, if your life has been transformed by the inner life of Christ. He says, greater works shall you do than these, Jesus said, because I'm going to the Father. I'm sending someone to you who's going to help you do this stuff. And when it happened, Peter and John, they look at us. It wasn't us that made this lame man walk. It was the name of Jesus and the power of God. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed in verse 7, and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Why? Because Jesus came to town, living inside of Philip, full of the Holy Ghost and power. That's what it says. After that, Simon the sorcerer gets saved. Come on. You ever drive by the little palm reading shop over here? And what do you think? (laughs) So maybe we ought to rush here and there and say, check these out. Does it tell you about Jesus? Because it should. We're not against people. We're against the devil who has blinded the eyes so people can't see Jesus. We're called to push the blinders back. That's your calling. In fact, let me tell you this. Have you been praying for somebody to come to Christ? Have you been praying for a long time for somebody to get saved, as we call it? And they haven't. Try this. Try changing the way you pray for them. Try standing in the gap between God and that person. Placing yourself in there because they can't pray for themselves. They're blind. The blinders are over their eyes. The devil's blind to them. They're they're not going to turn to Jesus and go, help me. So you go and stand between them and God. And say, God, I'm going to pray on their behalf. I'm going to intercede. That's what intercession is. It's to go between men and God. Go stand between God and that person. Say, God, I'm here lifting them up. I want to see them come to you. You've already paid the price. I know you want them to come. Jesus died for them. So what can I do? And he'll turn you around and say, now, go in the power of what Jesus told you. Right? 
said, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons, right? Speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Why don't you turn now and take authority over the devil that's blinding their eyes? They're not going to do it. They're blind. They don't even know they're blind. Why don't you, because you're enlightened in the Spirit and you're enlightened by the Word of God, why don't you take authority over that demon that's blinding their eyes and cast it out in the name of Jesus? Peel it off of them. Tell it to go. And then when their eyes are open, they'll be able to see me. Make sure somebody's around to tell them. Don't just cast the demons out and walk off. Be ready. Pray that God will send a laborer now into that harvest. Because Jesus taught us to pray that way, right? He said, pray that laborers will be thrust into the harvest. Say, Lord, I'm working on this one-person harvest right here. Thank you for your authority in Jesus' name. Devil, I bind you. I cast you out. I'm pulling the blinders off right now. Take it off and take it back to the pit. In fact, go put it at the foot of the cross where it belongs. Get out of this person's life. I have the authority to say so. They have a will of their own. I'm leaving their will to them. I'm not taking authority over the person. I'm taking authority over the devil. And when he's gone, Lord, now they're open to see you. Send a laborer into the harvest. If it's me, send me. If it's somebody else, send somebody else. And there they stand for the first time kind of blinking like, wow, I see things I never saw before. Are you getting the picture? This is a spiritual thing. And somebody says, would you like to know Jesus? I've heard about him. I'd like to hear more about him. Where before they were just absolutely resistant. Why? Because now they can see. And they will see the glorious gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's change the way we're praying for people. Oh God, save them. Does he want to answer that prayer? Yeah. Has it been answered? Some of you have been praying for people for years. Just change the way you pray. Pray in the power of the Holy Ghost. Saul the Apostle becomes Paul, Saul the, of Tarsus becomes Paul the Apostle. Why? Because of a transformational moment with Christ. He's encountered head to head by God. He's led blind into the city where Ananias comes, right? Lays hands on him and says to him, Brother Saul. <laughs> Before he left home, he said, God, are you sure? I mean, this guy's a killer. This guy's hauling people off to jail all the time that have their, your testimony. I've got, is this what you want to do? God says, this is what I want to do. You need to go pray for him. You need to go bless him because I need to show him what he's got to do. Okay, well, let's go. Pull the Holy Ghost, complete agreement with God. Brother Saul, God sent me to lay my hands on you so that you could be healed and so that you could be filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? Later on, Paul says, as he's writing the Corinthians, he says, I, I thank God for being filled with the Holy Ghost. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, I, I wasn't there on the book. Of, I wasn't there in Acts chapter 2 when they all got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. He said, but when, I, when Ananias laid hands on me and the scales fell off my eyes, I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues, is what he's saying. I spoke in tongues. It happened for me too. Sometimes we as Pentecostals or Charismatics kind of get hung up on the whole tongues thing. Like, you've got to speak in tongues. you got to speak in tongues. Well, I like what one evangelist said. He said, you know, you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but if you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll probably speak in tongues. Okay, I believe in it. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I began speaking in tongues. It's been that way ever since. This has been going on for 40 years. I don't deny it. 
But I'm not going to cram it down somebody's throat or their theology. I think I want to invite you to the table say, let's get filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Let's have some evidence in our life of the transformation. And let's live out the transformation like these other people in the New Testament did so that other lives are changed. So that our testimony has an effect. One last stop on Peter, chapter 10. I'm not reading it to you. I'm just alluding to it. You've read these things perhaps. You've seen them. He's up on the rooftop waiting for lunch. And he's hungry. And he has a vision. Almost trance-like, the Bible says. And down from heaven comes this sheet. And in it is all kinds of unclean animals to the Jews. And he hears God say, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. The sheet's gone. Wow. Boy, I must be really hungry. I'm seeing things. I hope lunch is ready soon. He's hungry. And God is telling him to kill and eat these animals a couple times. And then, then God says, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. And as soon as that is over, at the door, there's a knock. It's Cornelius' servants. Uh, Cornelius sent here because God told him there's a guy here named Peter. Is he here? Yeah, he's up on the roof. We're just getting lunch ready. You want to come in? We'll have lunch. We'll talk. They talk, they say, Cornelius sent us. We're supposed to take you back to his house. And Peter goes, I get it. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's unclean to a Jew. I'm not supposed to go to his house. But they're knocking. The sheep, I get it. It's a Holy Ghost moment. God is orchestrating the miraculous. Peter goes to the house. He walks into the house. He's probably feeling a little edgy. He's probably thinking about the uncleanness and do I wash or what do I do? And He had some problems with that still. Cornelius gets his oikos together, his family. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and your whole house. He got his whole house together. That included servants and everybody, friends, relatives. Read it. It says he called them all and got them all there. Peter's coming. Let everybody come over. Make it potluck or whatever. But come on. And they're all there. And he begins to tell the story how the, as he was praying, God told him to call for him. And it was, and so he did. And now you're here. So tell us, what's the deal? Peter says, I perceive that God has chosen to give his gospel to those who are unclean. And while he's preaching, I mean, in the middle of his message, the Bible records this. I'm not making this up. In the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit falls on the group. The group begins to speak in tongues. As they're speaking in tongues, this is how it's recorded for us, the other Jews that had come down with him and were hanging out on the side said to him, wow, we probably ought to baptize this group like we've been baptizing everybody else back in town. We ought to baptize them because obviously God has given them the same gift that he has given us. What was that? The infilling of the Holy Spirit. The power to transform the life from the inside out. How many times have you tried to reform yourself? How many times have you said, I'm going to do better? How many times have we said, I'm not going to do that anymore? Only to find ourselves doing it more than we did before. It's the cycle of the man's defeat. It's our unwillingness to shape and change our life. We can't do it. We don't have the strength. We say, God... I've got to come to this desperate moment where I'm like the woman reaching through the crowd. I don't have a chance. 
of being healed unless I touch the hem of your garment. I don't have... uh, uh, (laughs) Sorry. My mind just went back to before I was saved. It was something like, you know, snowball's chance in hell or something. (laughs) I just don't have any opportunity here. To be saved. I can't do this. I've tried. I, I shared my story about quitting smoking, and I quit five times. I told people it was easy. I've done it five times. <laughs> if you ever tried, it's happened for you too. And, you know, there wasn't a patch then. <laughs> okay? We didn't have, we just had to quit. And I tried. I said, I'm going to quit. And smoke twice as much. I'm going to quit. Smoke twice as much. Five times, I mean, it's getting expensive. And finally, I just said, God, I get it. I can't do this. And this is the picture he gave me. I just share it with you because I was spirit-filled. I was just speaking in tongues. I was praying. I was worshiping. I was reading the Bible. I was loving Jesus, and I was smoking. And I pulled that up there, and I inhaled. And all I could see, it was like this. I got my own personal vision. It was the Holy Ghost inside going... <laughs> I thought, oh my, I'm doing this to him every time. Because he can't move out. He came to indwell me. He came to give me the life of Jesus. He came to let that life live out through me. The The Bible says my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Whom we have of God. It's not my own. I didn't design this. God did. And so I thought, I'm offending him every time. I said, God, help me quit. Just help me quit. Right now, right here. And if I ever smoke again, make me sick. I, I think I had my first cigarette at 12. You know, I was smoking pretty regular by 16, all through school. And on end one after I got saved. And I say this, you know, smoking won't send you to hell, guys. It'll sure make you smell like you've been there. But I needed, I needed freedom, and I couldn't make it myself. And I said, God, help me. Make me sick if I ever smoke again. I got up the next day, and I didn't smoke thereafter. The next day. There was no craving. There was no need. I was amazed that it was so simple. One year later, I was passing by an ashtray. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a bit of a smoker, you know this. It was a pretty long butt laying there. <laughs> You know, and I was wondering why they call them butts, but anyway. <laughs> and, I th- and I thought, I wonder, I wonder after a year what it would be like. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> you don't smoke. The cigarette smokes. You're just the sucker. <laughs> I like those things. Anyway, so I picked that thing up and I found a match and I thought, I just wonder what it would be like. And I got so sick. I'd never gotten sick. That was not a big deal. Drugs or whatever. I inhaled that thing, and I I was the guy turning green. I thought, I'm going to heave. This is horrible. And as I was going through that, I heard the Lord say, I was just answering the second prayer. (laughs) You prayed. Deliver you and make you sick. If I ever do it. And here I was doing it. He said, I just didn't forget what you said. I thought, now that's God. He loves me enough to know to answer every prayer. 
Peter's vision of arise, kill, and eat possessed him. He didn't just obey because he saw a picture in the sky. It possessed him. And as he's preaching, I get it. The Holy Ghost wants to deliver the gospel to the whole world. This includes the Gentiles. So he preaches Jesus. And God confirms this by filling them with the Holy Ghost on the spot. They speak in tongues. It's evident. The gospel's going viral. Our definition of a small group or a cell group, which are listed on the back of this bulletin, goes like this. And I don't know if we have it up here or not, but it reads this way. And it's on the wall right outside the doors in the center of our cell demonstration there. Our life groups. At the core of Big Bear Christian Center are the life groups of 3 to 15 people that meet weekly throughout Big Bear Valley. That's the first sentence. The second sentence starts this way. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need groups of people gathering regularly. Empowered by the Holy Ghost. So empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer. Their purpose is to make disciples through spiritual growth, community, and evangelism resulting in group multiplication. It's nothing more than a New Testament pattern. People getting filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, praying together and evangelizing and, and helping each other mature in, in these small cell life groups to the point that it can't contain it and it has to keep multiplying. Our calling is to spread this gospel entirely through our community. Not just randomly, but very specifically from friend to friend, house to house, oikos to oikos. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your whole Household. That's our calling. That's what God has brought us here to do. And the only way that's really going to happen is through transformed lives. Each of us is different. We're not all going to be Peters. We're not all going to be preachers. We're not all going to have visions of animals in sheets. And we're not all going to have the light shine around us on the road to Damascus, perhaps. But we all go through transformation. Some of you who used to hate people now love them. It's amazing. Right? I mean, all we have to do is kind of look around the room and witness the power of the Holy Spirit. We may not know the history, but I'm talking right here in this room, we got druggies and drunks. Right? Ex-druggies. Ex-drunks. We've got adulterers. We might even have a murderer in here. Pastor Rob shared the story of seeing Ira Fox sitting next to uh, Jim Cagle, sitting next to the, the other man, I won't mention his name. But you had a retired judge sitting next to a retired cop sitting next to a murderer who had spent 18 plus years in prison and been released. And they're all eating breakfast together because Jesus is in the middle of the group. They're all transformed. They're not the way they used to be. Changed lives. Living in community. Koinonia. The Bible says Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 that they had all things in common. Nobody said anything was their own. They shared life with each other. They met in small groups from house to house. They shared their bread in singleness of heart. Somebody had a need, somebody else met it. Then when they had a need, somebody else met that. They were working together to promote the gospel because the Holy Ghost had come to live within. And we've got room full of adulterers and idolaters and fornicators and selfish people, wrath, gospers, all the stuff you find in Galatians chapter 5.19. It says, if you're one of those people, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But in the next verses, it says, but if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, 
joy, peace, right? Gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control. Against these there's no law. The Holy Spirit changes us. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that we're supposed to transform our minds. We're supposed to re- by the re- transform our lives by the renewing of our minds. Now I want to draw one more final thought. May I do that? Wake up! Come back! One more! Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I'm not mistaken, the word transformed here in this usage means to go through a complete change for the better. A complete change for the better. In fact, it's an adjustment of your moral and spiritual vision. It's a complete adjustment of your moral and spiritual vision. Be transformed that way. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By the Word of God. The Word of God washes our mind. The Word of God renews our mind. It gives us a new way to think about life. It gives us a new view. This Word of God will change your life, right? It's, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It goes into the heart, and the Bible says it about itself that it pierces between uh, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, right? It does something we cannot do for ourselves. It is alive. It's quivering with power. And when we digest it, we take it in through the eye gate, through the ear gate, through the, uh, through the mind, then there comes the transformation of our complete moral vision. Things we used to think were okay are not okay anymore. Well, that's why I came to the point where smoking was an issue. For you, it's something else. Maybe you're a real gossiper. Maybe you're a blatant liar. And one day, you're reading and it says, Thou shalt not lie. And you went, Oh my gosh, I need help. And God came to help you. And now you're not a liar anymore. You're transformed. You're renewed. Your view is different. You have another motive. But just trying to change and transform your own mind does not work. It has to be by some source other than. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm sorry, I said 4. I already went past 4 preaching there. I preached 4. Oops. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That is, they're not fleshly. They're not of man. Our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not made on our own. They're mighty through God. They're mighty in the Holy Ghost. They're mighty in God. And those weapons, when we employ them, can defeat the strongholds in our minds. So I can renew my mind. I can try and change my mind, and it doesn't work. But if my mind is renewed by the Word of God and by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, now I am strong in the weapons of the warfare to pull down every high thing that exalts itself against God. This is how I'm going to live in victory. This is how I'm going to find myself walking on top. 
This is how Deuteronomy 28 is going to come to pass in my life. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. I'm going to be above and not below. I'm going to be rest when I'm coming in, when I'm going out, when I sit down, when I stand up, when I sleep at night, and my storehouse is going to be full. Why? Not because of my great strength or my ingenuity or my mental capacity. But it's because God has come to live inside of me and He wants to bless me. In every way. Spirit, soul, and body. And I'm going to go through a transformation. We all love the story of the chrysalis, that of the little wormy guy turning into a butterfly. That's transformation. It's the chrysalis. It's, I can't do that. I could probably wind myself up in a cloth somehow. You're going to hang from a tree for a while. But I can't do what God can do to bring the transformation to my life or yours. How? We need to pray, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost and power. Lord, come and renew my life. Come in the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus wrote in chapter 2, verse 5, that it comes by a renewing of the Holy Spirit. All this to say the transformation of one life, your life transformed, and other people around see it and know it, whether we all know our own, each other's backgrounds or not. Now, if you ever did pick on you, Gary? Because you'd tell it yourself, I know. We don't know each other's backgrounds so much once we get in here. But if you get in a life group, you'll hear about it. Because that's where we get vulnerable. That's where we get transparent. That's where we look across the room and somebody somebody blows you away into the group and say, well, anybody have something they want to share? And somebody says, you know what, yeah. I just love Jesus. And, you know, I used to really hate people like you. <laughs> I'd freak you out. Really? Oh, yeah. People like you just to, I mean, I used to beat people like you up just for fun. I mean, I can't stand people like you most of the time, but this Jesus thing has transformed my life. You know, I kind of like you. I love you. I'll pray for you. Let's eat together, and you're, you're afraid to hand them a fork. <laughs> then I just use it on you. And I perforate you. We'll have soup together. Yeah, we'll eat, we'll eat soup. Yeah. No knives, no forks. And it is evidence of a transformed life. And then you can kind of get comfortable and say, you know, the witness of the Spirit says we're in the same family. Now, family doesn't all look the same. Family doesn't all act the same. We all got our little, you know, peeves inside our family, and that's okay. But we're all going to live together forever. Eternity's in our future. And we love each other because of Jesus inside, not because of the attraction of the external. We're not because of a, an affinity of the past. Transformed lives. In the last four minutes of our time together, I want to ask Tony, do I, yeah, can I talk to both of you guys or just Tony or you? In the, in the bulletin that we're talking, we want to highlight a cell group each week. And uh, this is the one that's in the bulletin right here. Which mic should I borrow? This one? Seeing how the other one's not cooperating? This won't reach. Well, Tony, if we come over here and stand behind the piano, it'll work. We'll, look, we'll have something to hide behind. Oh, this has got a tail on it. I don't want him to have to eat my tie. <laughs> oh, you got some lace. You're good. Tell us what's going on with your life group yourself. Well, first of all, I'd like to say God is wonderful. He's powerful. He's changed my life big time. 
I came a long way. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have done it without Jaden and other members of this church. Um, me and Jaden, first of all, started off a, a group, subgroup, young man. First, it was just me and him. We took on the challenge to start our own group. Went pretty well. Um, got Had job changes, and we stopped connecting and stopped fellowship. But this year, God's put on my heart to really reach out to those that are in need of Christ. And I had a neighbor, lost his girlfriend not too long ago. And I, God's put on my heart to reach out to him. But this year, God spoke to him. He came over Wednesday finally and cried out to me, shared some times. Um, another fellow employee from work is going through some hard times the last couple of months. And I've always offered him to come over to the group to join me. Never did half the time. But God finally spoke to him. And we've been meeting for the last two weeks. Every Wednesday's at my house. He wants to know about God and whatnot. And I told him, man, it's not a religion. It's just a relationship that we build with God. Excellent. But yes, I am starting a new group up Wednesday nights. Ages from 20 on up. You know, God's just put my heart to to save and rescue these guys that are lost. Praise the Lord, man. It's awesome. God lives within us all, and it's time for Him to shine through me again this year. Amen. Father, we want to pray right now for Tony as he stands for a lot of us as life group leaders and people who care about other people because of the transformation of the life. Lord, we ask for your anointing upon him for wisdom, knowledge. Lord, we pray that the Jesus shining through him will become so irresistible to these other guys that they'll be attracted like a bug to light. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing. Did you want to say something? So I just want to encourage us as we're leaving that get in, get in one of these things. You know, it's about living in community. It's about hanging out together. It's about sharing the transformed life and helping it to continue. That's what we're here for. That's how we design this congregation. We're not about build a bigger building and build it and they'll come. That's not us. We're not a come gospel church or a go gospel. You know, when I say build it and they'll come, that's a man's idea. But the New Testament said, go into all the world. And as you're going, make disciples. So we're okay with having a smaller spot. At least I have been. Pastor Rob's okay with it too. We're not against you know knocking a wall out or doing something if we need to. But I'm more concerned. I would like to see so many people in cell groups and in life groups that we couldn't fit them all in here anyway. And, and penetrating the community with salt and light. That's what we're about. So check them out. There's some cards you can take with you. There's phone numbers in the bulletin. Connect with one. In fact, could I just, as we're closing, have all the life group leaders that are here this morning just stand with us? I know they're not all here today, but these guys are all leading life groups. Is yours in Kenya? No. no. <laughs> Father, this morning we thank you for these leaders and others who are not with us this morning. Lord, thank you for them taking the point, organizing their time, 
surrendering sacrificially the moments of their lives to help lead others into community and fellowship. Bless them, or reward them for their efforts, and increase their effectiveness in this year, as Tony said. Let it, let it happen. Let it multiply. Let's see multiplied groups. Let's see multiplied leaders this year uh, in 2012. Lord, and may we uh, come to the end of this year full of new friends who are filled with faith and the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each of you. Thank you for letting me preach this morning.